Hi, I'm Brandon. I'm Zach. And I'm Mitch. And we're the presidents of the Is It Really podcast. Every week we ask ourselves, not what you can do for this podcast, but what can this podcast do for you? Which is why we have a special surprise at the end of this episode for your listening pleasure. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Thank you and enjoy the show. Resigning. Were we wrong? Welcome to Is It Really? The podcast that challenges popular opinions about movies. I'm Brandon Sharp. I'm Zach Smith Michael. And I'm Mitchell Dupree. And tonight we're going undercover and asking what's so sexy about a scandal? Zach, why don't you get us started off with a plot? Glad to. Two Washington Post reporters, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, played by handsome Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman, researched the failed 1972 burglary of the Democratic Party headquarters at the Watergate apartment. With the help of a mysterious source, the two reporters discover a disturbing connection between the burglars and a White House staffer. Will the duo uncover this scandal? This film is a political thriller. What are some other movies we could compare it to? Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what it reminds me of is uh, not a political thriller. The movie A Few Good Men, which is a legal drama. This movie does have uh, what I would describe as Sorkinese dialogue, even though Aaron yes. Sorkin wasn't around. Um, I think he obviously drew a lot of inspiration from this movie. But the, the other large... Uh, component that uh, seems to track in both movies is it's two guys against the world butch cassidy and the sundance kid bringing down the government they have to overcome something so i like that and that's how it feels in a few good men as well they have to beat the odds and the government has all the power yeah a couple things actually struck a chord with me that you said mitch first one is no one does political thriller like aaron sorkin so i think that's worth mentioning uh, the second one is, I think at one point in the movie, they referred to how none of the other news organizations were covering the break-in at, at Watergate. And they were like, why are you two guys still covering this? No one else is. What, is mm-hmm. what do you have that no one else has? So I think there is something there. These two guys against the world. Absolutely. I'll go next. The movie that it reminded me of the most was Zero Dark Thirty. And I think there are some similarities between the portion of the story they choose to tell. In both cases, we are most familiar with the last few minutes of each film. There's an operation to kill bin Laden and Nixon resigns. I think what's so compelling is that these movies explore the lesser known facts and kind of the process that these people went through to get that result. Yeah, it's it's the how. It's the how that less people are focused on. I mean, this was a very famous Mm -hmm. book that uh, Woodward and Bernstein wrote. So uh, I I read that the movie did focus on some of the more fringe elements of the story. And speaking of more fringe elements, the film that I'm thinking of is Adam McKay's recent film, Vice. Whereas that feels more like a political horror movie to me, I'm going to be honest. Like, it was sort of very scary to watch. They kind of turn Dick Cheney 
almost into like a movie monster in a way. And I guess the comparison that I would make is that I think that neither movie is that interested in character development. They want to tell a story and present the facts as best as they can. And I think that the thing about Vice is that it, it talks about Dick Cheney being in charge of the White House in a very scandalous manner, whereas in its entirety, what All the President's Men is about, it's about scandal. It's just about two different forms of scandal, I think. Well, I want to get back to the scandal idea, but I think it would be easy to say that the characters in All the President's Men don't have an arc, but really it's it's that old dynamic versus static kind of character, right? And I think the two main characters, they do encounter conflict and they're forced to push through it to grow, but they're not undergoing yeah, a huge personal change. They are resolute in their convictions. And I think that's part of what makes them so compelling is... No matter what bucks against them, they are holding fast to this is the job of the press. We report the news, right? No matter what the implications are. Right. And and going back to Vice, the movie is kind of that, but from a different angle, like the exact opposite angle. Whereas, you know, all the president's men is about we are the press and this is what we do. Whereas Vice is about Dick Cheney's vision and I am running America and this is how things have to be done. I think actually one thing that All the President's Men doesn't do that Vice does do is it doesn't turn Nixon into this meal, if right. you will. It, it focuses on everyone else except Nixon. And I think that is what makes it so compelling. There were so many wheels turning in this operation and Nixon was like that last piece of the puzzle he was like the big man behind the curtain if you will but all these other guys all of his hatchet men if you will were as much part of it as he was but I think he you know he obviously is the face of it because he was the president right well the movie's called all the president's men not all the president that wasn't the most clever thing I've ever said but I stand by it (laughs) <laughs> I was actually thinking about like the title, All the President's Men, and then I was like, oh, maybe they just were being very literal there. Well, it's referencing something called All the King's Men. I saw that online. I was like, I don't know right. what that is. I'm not smart enough. But I do recognize the Humpty Dumpty illusion. After everything fell apart. Yeah. The American people are dealing with the yolk. This just got weird. Can I just real quick one thing? The man he's referred to a lot just as Colson is in fact the great evangelical pastor Chuck Colson that is something i did not know oh did you, were you guys aware of that well, first I'm of all you know who chuck colson is there were like 30 names Right. Uh, just like okay. swirling around. So you're, you're like Chuck Colson. I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I don't remember that at all. If you're a history buff, this is like the greatest movie ever made. Are you also an evangelical history buff? <laughs> then you're really going to dig that's in. That's the key. That's the key. Well, I totally missed it. Are you sure you're not thinking of Billy Graham? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Touching. Forget the myths. But 
the media has created about the White House. The truth is, these are not very bright guys, and things got out of hand. Hunt's come in from the cold. Supposedly, he's got a lawyer with $25,000 in a brown paper bag. Follow the money. Where? Oh, I can't tell you that. But you could tell me that. No, I have to do this my way. You tell me what you know, and I'll confirm. I'll keep you in the right direction if I can, but that's all. Just follow the money. The phrase he uses is, ignore the myths of the media. Yeah. Right? Did that hit anyone else? It does, yeah. Absolutely. Um, what jumps yeah, out yeah. to me about it is, before Watergate, our relationship with the White House was, you've got JFK, you've got Camelot, right? right. We loved the presidency and trusted the White House. So this is kind of a turning point in our relationship with the White House and how we see them. And, and there's this sense in the air of there's spin happening and we don't know what's true anymore. Yeah, to your point, I think the line later that uh, Mr. Throat has when he says, I don't like newspapers, I don't care for inexactitude and shallowness. He's kind of saying... I don't really believe anything. And then we find out later, I forget if we find out in the movie or not, that he was actually like Mark Felt, who was the head of the FBI. Right. So so there's this level of, you know, everybody has secrets. Everybody has dirt. It seems to me like they have a personal relationship, like they know each other outside of this scenario. I mean, how else was he going to get him in the parking garage? Didn't he say that they had worked with each other um, prior? On a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. And I think his disdain for the media, he's basically putting that aside for his friend or colleague. I want to point out how Holbrook is fantastic in this scene. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in the whole movie, you know, just that mysterious, careful. And then he has, you know, he's extremely vague. I think there is something kind of admirable about making Robert Redford, uh, Bob Woodward work for the information. Right. I think the kind of the boundaries that he set up were actually pretty smart. And that is obviously him protecting himself, but also I'm not going to make this easy for you. You're going to have to work for it and figure this out by yourself. Right. I will at least keep you going in the right direction. Right. And then I love later towards the end of the movie when they meet in the garage again and Mr. Throat is starting the same game that he's been playing and Robert Redford finally just goes, I'm tired of your games. And then he goes, all right, get your notebook out. It's almost like he has to prove his worthiness or something. Exactly, yeah. There's a lot of reporters who are looking for a story, but what struck me in this film is that Woodward is looking for the truth. Here's a guy who, you know, he's very good at what he does, and he's also passionate about putting the truth out there. And another way that it's similar to A Few Good Men, you, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth, Bobby. I think that's part of why Mr. Throat is disinclined to acquiesce to this request, because the implications of what he is sitting on are so massive, right? It's almost like you wouldn't believe it if I told you. You've got to find it out yourself. He's very, like, secretive at first, whereas, you know, the first time Woodward calls him, it's on an open phone. And then when they meet, Throat's just like... Hey, don't do that. Like, yeah, big mistake. Right. And then at the end of the movie, he even says our lives are in danger. And he realizes the magnitude of what they're involved in. 
I love that element. Our question is, why can Scandal be sexy? It's the clandestine meeting in the garage, and it's the levels of security just to talk about the story. The fact that he won't, won't use his name, all of those elements, it's hard to believe that this is truth, right? Because it's so fantastic and right. uh, exciting. Brandon? Yeah, a couple things. At one point, Bob Woodward is in the living room of one of the people he's trying to get information from, and the man says that he's a Republican, and Bob, you know, says, well, so am I. Right. And there's like a look look exchanged between Woodward and Bernstein, and, and Bernstein can't believe that, that Woodward is a Republican. And I think, actually, my takeaway from that is, to Zach's point, he's trying to get the truth. Against his own party, he's going to work, and he just wants honesty and he is not worried about political affiliation in any way. I think it's just a credit to a time gone by, if you will, when that's what that was the most important thing, reporting the news. Brandon and I are both closet newsroom fans. So <laughs> not closet. Not closet. <laughs> so we we both have this kind of romantic view of the fourth estate and the fifth element and the sixth sense. We <laughs> and seventh heaven. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we love all those things. Fate of the Furious. I will say this movie tugged at my heartstrings. I'm so jaded, uh, especially against like anything that can feel like jingoistic. But when a movie can stir up my patriotism like this, whoa, I'm going to hold on to it. Do we want to talk about the performances at all? I would love to talk about the performances. Hey, Zach, will you talk about the performances? I would love to talk about the performances. <laughs> I love the initial meeting between Woodward and Feldstein, where Woodward goes and he puts his papers on the desk and then Feldstein picks them up. And I just love the, the contrast, whereas Feldstein's very sloppy and, you know, Woodward's kind of a little more organized. It, just in their appearance, I mean. Right. The one dude's in a suit. And right. the other dude's in his flowy. His shirt's barely tucked in. He's got, like, his hair super long. And I love just the scene. Hoffman's trying to explain himself. And he gets cut off. And he's like, no, I don't mind that you did it. I don't like how you did it. Right. Well, Here's he's over there typing on Woodward's typewriter. You know, he's got his paper and he's clicking away on it. I'm sorry, it's Bernstein. The man's name is Bernstein. Oh, great. Uh, Perfect. <laughs> Oh, good. Good. You know, Woodfeld and Rick Fine. <laughs> Who's well, he he calls him Woodstein. At one point, they do. Yeah, they combine the names. Yeah. Yeah. He calls him Woodstein, which I thought was funny. That's what's messing me up. Yeah. Well, I love that scene, too, Zach. Anyone who works in a creative capacity knows like the worst thing you can do. The cardinal sin. Yeah. You do not redo my work. Right. Well, don't touch my stuff. Right. <laughs> But I also love how much it spoke to Woodward's character, again, reiterating that he's a guy who loves putting the truth out there. That's what his primary interest is, because, you know, he doesn't say, don't touch my stuff. He goes, I don't like the way that you did this. Well, I like that Hoffman, it shows like I'm dedicated to getting the best thing out there. And then Redford, it shows my ego is not more important than the best thing exactly. being out there. Right, right. They buck against each other. They're both strong. But then the, it kind of shows, oh, they're going to be a good fit. They're going to work exactly. together. Well. Right. The most important thing is telling this story, not who tells it. You're exactly right. He takes ego out of it. He's like, you're right. This is better. Right. And it's the contrast between the beginning of the movie where they're kind of like peeking over each other's shoulders. 
to the end where Nixon is being sworn in again. And it just shows the two of them just like furiously typing away at their keyboard. I won't say it's a character arc, but let's call it a character arc. Well, it's a progression. They make a point to tell us at the beginning that they're both green, but they're both hungry. Right. So by the end of the movie, they're both capable journalists, right? right? They're not new Mm -hmm. on the job anymore. They've been chasing this thing forever. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And and again, like when Woodward says, if we're wrong, we're resigning. The story is too big for them to fail on. Right. Oh, my gosh. That's the terrifying thing about the press in general. They'll print retractions once in a while, but that's terrifying. Another thing that I was thinking about with the performances is I believe these guys when they're talking like I believe them. I was actually thinking about the movie Spotlight quite a bit which is a very good movie. And for me, I think the reactions are very realistic until Ruffalo starts screaming the, it could have been us, it could have been any of us. Because it feels a little out of place and overacting. Whereas this movie, I feel the performances are consistent and realistic the whole way through. There's no scene where one of them starts screaming. And of course, the subject matter is different. But their performances, I felt, kept the movie very anchored for me. Yeah. And back to the newsroom, not to talk about a non-movie, but (laughs) this is basically if season two of Newsroom had gone the way they wanted it to, it would be the movie All the President's Men. I cannot help but bring that up. I almost feel like Aaron Sorkin was thinking about this movie when he wrote that second season and these implications, you had better be right. You cannot be mistaken. I was actually a little shocked. They only needed so many confirmations. They Mm -hmm. only needed a handful. I'm not a journalist. My only introduction is the newsroom where there's like eight confirmations on the story they get wrong. Right. And the non-denial denial. Yeah, the count to 10 thing. I was like, this is not a confirmation. This is crazy. questionable. Right. I think that the secrecy definitely adds to the sexiness of scandalous behavior, like the behind closed doors element and the way that they get information on the scandal from people. It's also like mysterious and secretive that it's like kind of another layer of what makes scandals so attractive. This is the film equivalent of give me your offer. No, I'm going to slide it in a piece of paper across the table. Mm -hmm. Like, why don't you just tell me? Another thing that I loved is when they like kept going to people's houses and they're like, I got to put our kids to bed or we're we're sick. And just that scene where Woodward just goes, two questions. I don't remember. I got to be honest. (laughs) Just his thing of like, fine, I'll be straightforward. Two questions. That's all I'm asking, that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Two questions. They're very pushy. Uh huh. The whole like first third of the movie, everyone's ducking him. I I love mm-hmm. those scenes of like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Give me one minute. No, I don't know that guy. <laughs> this must be what journalists deal with all the time. <laughs> I changed my mind. Sorry. I also loved again just talking about the contrast between the two of them. How you have Bernstein shows up. <laughs> there you go. At, <laughs> Bernstein shows up at people's house. Like he'll sit down, have a cup of coffee with them. He'll sit in the office all day waiting for uh, the one guy. He goes in there and he's a charmer, whereas, you know, Woodward just goes in there. Here's my questions. There's no pretense with him. Well, it's almost good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In some ways, Woodward is the good cop. Bernstein is the pushier of the two. He is there to get the information he needs. He won't take no for an answer. And I I love the scene with the bookkeeper. That's the one when they're playing the games and well, we've yeah. already got Magruder and M's Magruder. It's like all, all the different letters mean someone's name and just the lengths these two will go to to get the mm-hmm. information. Yeah, they're Batman and Robin. 
<laughs> Sorkin's Batman. Sorkin's <laughs> Batman. I was, I was shocked. Dustin Hoffman was a dish in this movie, guys. And the first scene with the bookkeeper when they're first meeting, he's charming the pants off her. Mm-hmm. Right. I love how he plays dumb. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it was cool to see him use his charm to open doors like a salesman. But I've never seen that side of Dustin Hoffman before. I'm right. used to Tootsie. I'm u- yeah, we're used to Tootsie and Stranger Than Fiction. The yeah, absolutely, and, and the Kung Fu Panda little guy. Yeah. <laughs> so to see him just Master slide Shifu? into the, yeah, sorry, to slide into the room. Hey, I'm not gonna put this in my book. I was like, oh, whoa, all right. Hi, Dustin. And again, it's it's classic Redford, but it's what he's good at. Redford's a great straight man. His performance felt almost stoic to me. He was same. Yeah, he he's like a wall. It's great casting. It works for this movie. Redford was doing Redford. I felt like a little bit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think about the performances in this movie compared to a movie like The Post. Both have all star casts. Both are about very, very similar subjects. They even take place in the same office. Whereas The Post, it feels like a movie that's trying to win an Oscar. You've got Spielberg, you've got Meryl Streep, you've got Tom Hanks, and everyone's kind of phoning it in. The movie feels sleepy and boring, whereas you have All the President's Men, which just, it feels kind of like angry and a little urgent in the storytelling. And the performances, like you were saying, Mitch, can feel a little stoic. I just think that Redford and Hoffman are just doing the work. You know what I mean? Like, even though Mm -hmm. the performances aren't loud and over the top, they're giving it all that they've got. It's interesting you say angry in the storytelling. I really feel like it's very methodical and, and nuanced. I feel like if this was an angry story, it would be like Nixon, Nixon, Nixon. You know, he's bad. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was almost everything but the big elephant in the room. I think I'll lean with you, Zach. If the performances in the movie were more Oscar grabby and more over the top and melodramatic of, you know, I can't believe he did this. Right. Uh, I think it would actually undercut the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, this feels like an example of just letting the facts speak for themselves. Yeah, I loved that there was no scene where Woodward's significant other was like, oh, you're you're working too hard on this. You know, I love that that wasn't <laughs> in the movie, that they were just telling the story. Yeah, and then right, Bernstein yeah. is like, Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> I think that's actually an argument for unangry storytelling, Mitch, what you're saying. The, the performances are straightforward. They're not over the top. To me, the subject matter is is the most important thing here. These government scandals behind the scenes, this is fascinating to me. And mm-hmm. I absolutely believe like over the top performances would have ruined it. I also believe that, yeah. Do you know why I think um, the emotion was anger for me? I think it's the lack of score. There's very, mm-hmm. very little score in a way that it doesn't feel like a movie. It feels more like you're watching events unfold the only thing that kind of reminds you that it's a movie at times is that you have two very very famous actors in it mm-hmm. yeah very very handsome actors right. playing journalists i've seen journalists right. they don't look like that yeah whereas like the opening <laughs> credits usually if you watch those old school movies they drag the credits out with like some big score and this one was just the credits were in really fast they were out no score at the beginning and it just kind of like hit the ground running in a way of like, oh, like 
Better pay attention. Hold on. The opening credits were not fast. It was 30 seconds of punching the typewriter on the paper. That, to me, was glacial. No, I'm saying the opening credits were like everybody's name is. That was during the Watergate break-in. That's what I'm referring to. Okay. I will say, in favor of the angry camp, it was an aggressive typewriter punch on the page. I think that's why people were so angry back then. They just had to listen to that all day. This film essentially takes a story that we have all heard before and makes it thrilling. How? For me, even though the movie is slow, it never stops. Movie is just kind of relentless. And I think that's what keeps it interesting for me. Even though it is slow, that's what keeps me invested. That's what keeps me on the journey with them is that the movie just does not stop. Well, I'm going to disagree. I watched this movie for the first time this afternoon. I got home from work. I popped it on my laptop and I felt like I was going to work all over again blasphemy it was long they're speaking in these crowded newsrooms and i can't understand what's happening on the phone call it felt like a mumblecore movie it's a punishing pretty lengthy and and slow-paced movie but it's a masterpiece i I think it's Mm -hmm. wonderful but i would definitely disagree with the idea that this is thrilling we framed our discussion around the sexiness of scandal i think what's interesting to me about this movie is it presents the scandal in the unsexiest light possible it put it in a floor-length dress. I'm like, there's the scandal. Check it out. A little bit boring, but good movie. I completely disagree with Mitch. I'm with Zach. This movie is riveting, and basically it takes us on this ride. And I think the lack of score, like Zach was talking about, fewer things that remind us we're watching a movie. I'm, I'm imagining myself actually sitting in the newsroom with these mumbled conversations happening around me. Those things bring me in more so than like additional score would And, you know, I mentioned this before, but I think this movie focuses on the lesser known parts of this story. Basically, we get to travel along with our heroes, Woodstein, as they connect the dots. And I think Hoffman and Redford do a masterful job at presenting this to us. I want to make one thing clear, Mitch. When I say that this is nonstop, I don't mean we're in a Ferrari going down the freeway at like 200 miles an hour. I mean, we're in an Oldsmobile going 15 (laughs) miles an hour, but we're not getting out to use the bathroom. It's slow, but it doesn't stop and smell the roses. It keeps going. See, I felt like we were on the Titanic and it is going so, so, so slow. Uh, And we see the iceberg that is Nixon, but there's nothing we can do. You both compared it to being like on a ride. I am sticking to that. No, this is long hours looking at Excel spreadsheets and boring phone calls. This is not the Fast and the Furious, y'all. Fine, it's like riding a bicycle for two hours. (laughs) That doesn't sound fun at all. No, thank you. That's what it felt like for me, because, I mean, I'm in the middle of both of you a little bit because the movie, I, I did have to take a break halfway through and like go have dinner and then come back <laughs> and, and coming back was a little bit like, OK, like, let's go. But I also was like, at least what I'm getting is is going to be good. And it's not the type of movie that I would generally go for. But I definitely appreciate the craftsmanship and the way that the story is told. I like everything in there. It's kind of like Thai food. I like all of this, 
It's just not what I usually go for. Uh, you lost me. Thai food's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, you just retracted everything in my mind. I am the sole <laughs> voice in the camp of Losing. all the president's men being. No. And here's here's how I know. I didn't need a break. I didn't need a snack. I popped it in and two hours passed by and I was like, whoa, it sucked me in. Absolutely. And it does every time. I've seen this movie plenty of times. You know what they should call all the president's men? All the facts Wikipedia forgot. No one calls it that. I do now. You're the only one. I'm not saying this is a James Bond movie, but... I am Dr. No, as in no thank you. (laughs) Sometimes when I watch movies like this, I think to myself, did I want to like it more than I liked it? Right. Am I trying to have good taste? And I'm just like, yeah, I love all the president's men. I mean, I was moved by it, but Mm -hmm. is it one that I'm going to pop in and be absorbed for two hours? I don't think like the way you're describing it, Brandon. Not for me. I don't think it hit me that way. I get that. This is in many ways my cup of tea. Is it easier to watch a movie about a controversial event than it is to hear about one on the news? And, you know, back to your point, Mitch. I think I would rather watch all the president's men than like listen to my 10th grade history teacher talk about Watergate. Mm. If something's too hard to swallow, you you can be dismissive of it. And also, you know, movies, you know, you have actors that you like, you have screenwriters who make dialogue sound better. So I think that all together makes whatever the story is a little more easy to digest. Well, it's one person's point of view, more or less. Movies are large enterprises, but it's like listening to a sermon almost. Whereas if it were happening, unfolding in the news before my eyes, now I have to listen to 80,000 takes on it. And here's the Republican Mm -hmm. perspective. And here's the Democrat perspective. And here's the independent perspective. And and I just, it's exhausting. You feel brutalized by the news and movies are just a way of kind of getting just the gold nuggets. Just give me the broad strokes, please. I also think it's worth pointing out that There aren't many things that we experienced both in the news and on the screen now. We're just now getting scripted versions of like the O.J. Simpson trial. There aren't a whole lot of things for us to use as examples. These are all baby boomer and these are from that era. We're getting things now 20 years out from like the 90s. I'm assuming, you know, in years to come, we'll start getting the Monica Lewinsky Clinton scandal. (laughs) And, you know, like some of these things will start becoming movies. I'm sure they will. And that's an interesting point, Brandon. There needs to be some time for it to gestate. If they did, I don't want to be political, but if they did like a movie about Donald Trump right now, there's no way our reception of it (laughs) would be anything but divided. But wait 20 years and we've memorialized this time and we've distanced ourselves from it. And that way we can feel like that's behind us that's the other thing too i think with the news there's oftentimes a level of fear in that you don't know how stuff is going to play out but with a movie you get to sit back and relax a little bit because you know how it's going to play out and you're going to kind of get the whole enchilada yeah there's something comforting about watching stuff about history i'm wondering i didn't look up anything about what the audience's reception was to this movie when it came out versus how it is now I'm curious about that because I did read something that said the movie came out two years after Watergate unfolded and Nixon resigned, and they were worried about the public being exhausted by this story. Watergate fatigue. 
yeah, do we really want to beat this dead horse and continue to do it? And mm-hmm. it made one of the most lauded movies of all time. So I'm curious if sometimes it does just take that little bit of time for us to be like less raw about the actual subject matter. It was almost like a perfect storm. How many situations or scandals have there been like Watergate since Watergate? None. You know what I'm saying? Watergate broke America. I was just glad to see, even though I hate this movie, that Forrest Gump is the one who called in Watergate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was there. He was also he saw it all. Stop. Thank goodness for Stop. thank goodness for Forrest. Stop it. Stop. <laughs> the only good thing about that bad movie is it it told the truth Gosh. about Watergate. He did it Cut all. It out. He taught he taught Elvis how to <laughs> shimmy. And he and he threw America into turmoil. Mm-mm. Thank you, Forrest. <laughs> All right, boys, it's time to tell us what you really think. <laughs> Gosh. But what was Some, the question? I don't Some things will. What's so sexy about a scandal? Everyone want to try their sexiest? What's so sexy about a scandal? What's so sexy about a scandal? I'll go first. I got mine ready to rock and roll. Everyone loves to see the mighty fall. To know that these people we have put on a pedestal are just as flawed as we are. We also love a good secret. And the biggest secrets in the world are held by the government. When a movie like this comes around, we get a chance to go behind the scenes and satisfy our curiosity. I think that as Americans, we all have the desire to live through something. So when you watch a movie that is based on a true story about something that literally happened just over our heads, it's very attractive. There's an element of, I didn't know that, and how fascinating. And it's fascinating because it's personal to some degree. It also allows you, as Brandon was saying, to judge people who are responsible for your country. And finally, there's just something very attractive about seeing people do things that are shady. We like to be in on the secret, and that's what makes a scandal so sexy. The word scandal derives from the Greek skandalon, meaning to snare, to snap shut, to cause to stumble, as in shirtless Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park is a real scandalon to my walk with the Lord. Today's scandals are everywhere. They allow us to feel superior, to pity or despise the person who done messed up, and to receive a tasty vicarious pleasure all at the same time. It becomes a feeding frenzy we can't get enough of. Every morsel is chewed and devoured like a rich, delicious cake. The term yellow journalism was coined to describe the down and dirty tactics employed by two New York City newspapers in the 1890s, The World and The Journal. They used lurid features and sensationalized stories to attract readers and increase circulation. Fast forward 100 years, and you've got clickbait and 24-hour news cycles leading us down the primrose path of gossip and voyeurism. All the President's Men is a time machine to a more decent age. Its ethos is one of civility, 
It doesn't punch down, doesn't air Nixon's dirty laundry for cheap effect. Its goal is simple, to tell the story of two hard-nosed reporters and their tenacious efforts to uncover a devastating secret of national importance. To borrow a quote from the newsroom at the risk of overstating my opinion a little, I think scandal is a really bad form of pollution that makes us dumber and meaner and is destroying civilization. But this movie doesn't do that. It doesn't get down into the mud. At a time of political unease, when many Americans had come to grips with the fact that their government was not what they thought it was, all the president's men resisted the urge to dress up the story and laid the facts out bare, which to this patriot is the sexiest scandal of all. Hey, thanks for joining our discussion on why journalism's dope, why Nixon made a mistake or two, and why Dustin Hoffman's brief tenure as a sultry smooth talker was glorious. If you have a minute, like us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We can be found at the Is It Really Podcast. It is the best. And please talk to us. We want to know your weird movie opinions so bad, you guys. And how dare you? I can't believe you forgot you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get it together. But now that you're feeling better, give us a rating and review. We will instantly high-five you in real life if you do that. One finger for each star. So unless you want a super awkward high-five, you should just make it a five-star review. Wink. Where is it really? Reminding you to check your sources. See you next time. Next week on Is It Really? We're asking, is Thanos the greatest villain in the MCU? I can't remember anything about that movie. Thor takes his shirt off. Sounds like every other Thor movie. (laughs) And then we find out that the person we thought was the villain is really just a drunk Brit. You know, it it looked like it was going to be, I want to play a game. Uh, And instead it was more like, I'm a real boy. I know that his character has a name but I'm going to keep calling him Mickey Rourke. (laughs) All I remember thinking is, can we get this man some socks? Disney's brand is, you know, feel good. It's heroism. And for me, like every time Dr. Strange would show up in like a Marvel comic that I'd be reading, I'd be like, get this guy out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Bruce Almighty was literally more (laughs) creative than Thanos is with that glove.